Are you ready to grow your digital influence? On this episode of Dealcasters, we talk with the leading social media strategist in the digital space, Neil Schaefer. Neil has written four books, including his latest, The Age of Influence. He's a keynote speaker and consultant, university educator, and a fractional CMO. He works with influencers and companies to help them elevate their brand. So get ready and prepare yourself to jump into the future of influencer marketing. What's up, Neil? Guys, first of all, thank you for your service to our country. And uh, it's an honor to be here. Awesome. It's so good to see you, Neil. And so, Neil, how, how have things been going? Are you, are, you, are you getting to travel again? Are you getting out and, and about? Or are you still doing a lot of uh, virtual talks? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I remember, because Jim, we met at Social Media Marketing World. This is literally March, uh, beginning of March of 2020. And I was coming out with my book. It published on uh, March 17th, I think on St. Patrick's Day of that month. And uh, yeah, I had a bunch of people coming up to me like, Neil, like, what's going to happen to your speaking biz? And the funny thing is that I also do a lot of consulting, right? And I write books and do a lot of stuff like, like you guys as well. And what happened in that month was that the consulting, I call it a fractional CMO service. It's like virtual marketing consulting. That just blew up. So... The speaking gigs were replaced with, you know, long-term retainer contracts without travel. So I had my most profitable year last year and I've really built on top of that. Um, that being said, for one client, I did do a video shoot in Dallas, man, uh, back in February this year. I was in Japan once in the fall of last year when we were peaking with coronavirus and it was very low there. I think the, uh, the sides have switched now. And I'm actually going to my first in-person conference next month, Podcast Movement. Uh, wow. Really looking forward to that in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, going to Nashville. Yeah. yeah. You know, I do podcasting as part of everything else I do. I don't, you know, I'm not someone who's spoken on the public stage about podcasting before. I've only been to one podcasting conference. That was PodFest, like literally in Orlando right after uh, we did that social media marketing world. But it's something that I think that there's a way of, of reimagining podcasting with this lens of influencer marketing that I think if podcasters knew, they'd be a lot more successful. And that's sort of the, the advice I'd like to share. So we'll see. It's called the Influencer Marketing Approach to Podcasting. That's the name of the talk. So we'll see if I uh, end up being on stage or not. Well, I know you've got, got now. Chris now I'm interested yes. in talking. I was, yeah. was going to say, you that's, have Chris that's, 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 like, that's my lane, man. That's, uh, that's absolutely my lane. So... So if we could, if can, can we start there? I mean, I know you know I don't want to give away the the uh, the secret sauce. So when, not if, when you speak at Podcast Movement. So video, obviously, right now we're we're in a conversation, we're in an interview, and this is this is this is not just video, but it can be repurposed into audio. And a lot of people, there's a lot of lines blurred, right? In in terms of podcasting and, and what is considered a podcast. And I used to. It used to make me twitch whenever somebody would say, "Hey, go uh, go watch my podcast on YouTube." Right? I'd be like, "That's not a podcast. It's just, you know, a podcast is supposed to be on demand audio, right? It's RSS feed, you know, all of that, you know." And finally, I just gave up on it and realized, you know, people they don't like it doesn't matter. Those those kinds of details don't matter. And so now, with so much video involved in 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 everything, um, how are you seeing that in terms of? Where maybe podcasts are are going, and how video is affecting it, and how those that maybe uh, were inherently and predominantly just audio podcasters, how they might start to integrate that effectively going forward. Man, these are really like solid, bang on questions that uh, I'd like to ask the experts as well. Uh, my own take 
is that you only, you know, getting back to sort of influencers and influencer marketing, how do people become influencers? They create content and they build community around that content and around that expertise. And there's many ways to do it. Back in the day, it was all about blogs and bloggers. We had mommy bloggers. Then there was a shift to sort of Instagram and Instagrammers. And now we have TikTokers, what have you. You also have YouTube, right? Which is video, which is still freaking huge. Pardon my French. And then you have podcasting. And with the emergence of like Clubhouse and Twitter spaces, podcasting and, and, you know, Spotify's big investments, it's also been on the rise. So basically, if you want to influence people in digital media, those are the four ways. It's either through social media, which today that's going to be really, really short form video like Reels, YouTube Shorts, TikTok, basically, right? You have blogs, which are still effective. I've been really focused on my own blogging the last year or two. I've really doubled down on that. Um, You have podcasts and you have YouTube videos. I'd say there's opportunity everywhere. But if there's one that's a little bit harder, it's blogs because you're going up against big companies, depending on your niche, right? You might be in a niche where the companies don't get it. In my niche, I mean, I compete with like HubSpot, Sprout Social. I mean, these guys are pouring lots of money (laughs) at creating content and SEO. But you know what? I, I can still beat him in my own niche, and I have been. And that's really the attitude you need to have. When If you listen to podcasts, you think you can do a better job, you do it. If you watch YouTube videos and the number one result something from four years ago that's outdated, that is not compelling, you can do better, you do it. If you, you, know, if, if you look at the Google search results for the top 10 things you're an expert in or what your business provides, and you see nothing but just stupid content, you can beat them, right? Because at the end of the day, the algorithms and the people will find the good content. So. Getting back to your question, I look at audio and video as being two distinctly different things. I've tried, we all try to do repurposing, right? I think the best repurposing that you can do is sort of in between the short form video. Like take a TikTok, repurpose the Instagram reel. You got Pinterest idea pins, you got YouTube shorts. That's sort of easy with a few tweaks, you can do it. But in my experience, I tried to first repurpose my blog, my podcast into a blog post. The SEO sucked. It got little traffic. I deleted them all. Because with blogging, you're speaking to search engines. With podcasting, you're speaking into the ears of people. With video, they're watching you. So I do know that you know there are some people who will go to YouTube and listen to podcasts. So yes, there are people out there. But I think if you yourself watch a lot of YouTube videos, you would understand that if you really want to be successful at YouTube, you need to have a YouTube video. Similar to, I've done podcasts where I repurpose live streams. Now, you guys probably have this down to an art. I didn't. But my editor is like, Neil, you keep on mentioning, like taking, you know, comments and questions. And when people are listening on the podcast, it, it doesn't make sense. So if you figure out a way to say, Hey, you know, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to do a live stream. Then after that, I'm going to take your questions and you just repurpose that beginning part to a podcast. That's perfect. So there are ways around it. Right. But I, I see them as different. I see YouTube videos for me more like blog posts. Unless I have a big, unless you have like a big community where you can do live streams and make a lot of money, like a lot of Twitchers and YouTubers, I'm not there yet. So I just look at them differently. There are people that are able to repurpose it all, right? Take one live stream, you know, video, you got the YouTube, you got the snippets for YouTube, you got the podcast, you got all these, you know, you got the YouTube shorts and everything. And that's great. Um, I just don't know if that would be, it's more convenient and efficient. I just don't know if the end product will be better if you were to create them all individually, right? With that platform in mind. And that, that to me is really all of us marketers were smart. We want to get the most juice out of our content. That's the challenge. And at the end of the day, if it sucks, you're not going to build the community. You're not going to move up in the rankings. And it's sort of, it seems like it's a, it's a low risk thing to do, but you're actually eating up more resources. Maybe you should have focused 
on doing something else with that time and money. That, that's my play. Yeah. God, that's so money. And you touched on, on two things that I, I got it till I'm blue in the face. I've, I've said this. And the number one thing you talked early in, in your answer was niche. And people are afraid of being too niche. And that's really like the cardinal rule in podcasting is, is niche, 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 niche down. And it's just, people are so, they, they want to be all things to everyone. And the, the pool is such so large that you just can't make that impact if you have broadened uh, yourself uh, just, just way too much. And um, the other thing that you talked about is know your audience, right? So if, if, if you're a YouTuber and you do YouTube really well, don't think that you can just take that and make a carbon copy of it and use it for every other platform or a podcast or whatever. You can repurpose it. But you've got to understand where you're repurposing it. I, I don't know how many times I've list, been listening to a podcast and they talk about something they're looking at. You know, oh, oh, look here, this is that, yeah. and they're describing something, and you're compl- you're 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 uh, you're gone. And because they're not consuming a lot of YouTube videos themselves, they miss out on things like YouTube cards and end screens, right? Or chapter cards, or really leveraging that introduction and the whole SEO of tagging and hashtags. It just so it, then it's like, well, why don't I just create the video just for YouTube, right? So it's it's definitely um, I see a lot of people waste a lot of time and resources on it. It sounds good on paper, but in reality, I just don't know how much extra juice you're going to get for that investment. Neil, what what are your thoughts? You know, since we are talking about podcasts too, but this whole the growth, if you want to call it, in the audio space with the clubhouses and with the Twitter spaces, and now there's uh, the green room, and you know, we hear LinkedIn and and Facebook are going to roll out their own audio rooms. I think Facebook's is in beta. How do you see that as a, a as a a possibility for influencers or or people that want to become influencers? Do you think that's something that's going to stay or do you think it's uh, one of those, it, it's going to be kind of like Blab. It, it was great while it lasted, but people are off to other stuff. Yeah, I was going to bring up Blab. Um, the question is, when coronavirus is over, what is the landscape going to look like? Clubhouse served a really, really important um, role in sort of bringing this up to the forefront. So now... The Twitters and Facebook, you know, I look at more as like a podcasting. It's it's live stream podcast, right? Live stream audio. So I really don't know if we want to be tied to a clubhouse room for an hour when we're able to go outside again. We're able to go to conferences. We're able to meet people, you know, in real life. I, I do believe that social apps or audio social audio apps like that, that clubhouse, they're a great place to meet new people and learn new things, and they will always be that way, right? For developing business, I have gotten business from it. I know a lot of other people that have gotten business for it as well. But the people who seem really successful are investing a lot of time there. And so I tell people, well, if you were going to invest that same amount of time on, on any other given social media platform or in content creation, what would that look like? What would success look like? It's almost like I remember, and you two gentlemen will remember as well, when Google Plus came out. It's like, okay, we find, okay, social media, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, done. And then, oh my gosh, and Google Plus will eat away at time. And there are people who went all in and they did really well. There are others who only went halfway and maybe didn't do so well. But it, every, every new platform cuts away from the time you could be spending on other platforms. So that's really the big thing. If you want to go full in on social audio, and I know some people are doing it, then go full in. But understanding if you were to spend that same time on another social media platform or creating content, what would the results look like? And I think that's what a lot of people miss out on. They go for the shiny new thing 
without realizing, dang, I mean, Facebook groups are still goldmine. I, you know, I finally got into the podcast movement groups and I'm going to the, to the conference for the first time. And it's just, you know, I'm not there for business. I'm just here to help people. I've already made amazing connections in, in 24 hours and I've only spent like 15 minutes. Imagine for that one hour, you know, clubhouse, if I was there, uh, just in Facebook groups that are relevant to my community, how much I can get out of it. So that's really the mindset I want everyone to have. Definitely check it out. If there are people that you follow, get notified when they appear so that you have a chance to like listen to them speak. That's great. If there are topics you're interested, you want to network, great, right? But it's not the only game in town. And, uh, and therefore, you know, at the early days before Twitter Spaces, before Green Room, when Clubhouse was all the buzz and nice and fresh, it was really active. I don't find it as active. In fact, the other night I went on just looking for something to listen to, like it was the radio. I could not find one room that interested me out of all the rooms that appear in the newsfeed. So to me, it comes down to the supply demand, right? And that's why YouTube is amazing because I don't think for the demand, I don't think there's a supply of great videos. For Clubhouse, you know, they're just, I don't, I don't think the demand's there. I don't think the supply's there. I think it's sort of dwindling down. I might be wrong. I hope I am, but that's my sense. I mean, you two gentlemen have seen, I think over the last few weeks, Clubhouse has really, really quieted down. And maybe it's Twitter spaces. Maybe it's, um, you know, Green Room, uh, Spotify. And I would say Spotify probably more than anyone. But I don't know how much of a future it really has. It, I think it becomes a part, like a story becomes a part of Instagram, even though Reels is probably where the money is right now. It becomes another thing they can just add to their platforms. It's a no-brainer, right? Whether people use it or not. So that's my take. I, yeah, I think that's that's some amazing uh, you know way to look. You know, and I think you hit on something too. When you go on these places like Twitter Spaces or, or Clubhouse, and probably even more so Clubhouse you're not necessarily creating content that you can do anything with because it's like once it's over it's over because of the whole you know issue with recording stuff i know like with twitter spaces they're allowing people to record stuff i know madeline scalar does a wednesday thing with audio uh, with uh you know with uh susie uh I, i'm blanking on susie's name but about audio but it's set and people know and because it's open to you know the 300 plus million people on twitter if they're following Madeline, they can see like, oh, Madeline's on. Where like with Clubhouse, like you said, oh, I got to go into this app that's not part of my social platform. Am I going to remember if I don't get a notification? I know Chris turned his notifications off a while back because he was getting oh, tired yeah. of his phone constantly pinging that somebody was on Clubhouse. And Madeline is a great example because that's her business is Twitter. She is a Twitter marketing expert. She does Twitter chats. She's been doing them weekly, you know, multiple Twitter chats weekly for years. So for her, it makes sense to go all in, right? That, that is a great example. But does it make sense for your business or not? Madeline would say it does. But I think you really got to weigh all the options because now you have people that evangelize Clubhouse. It's, it's very much like the Google Plus days. You had all these people that put all their eggs in one basket you got to be on Google Plus. And where are they now, right? I mean, I had like 50,000 followers. They're worth nothing. So you just got to, you know, it's called historical perspective, right? It's like all the wars we fought. Hopefully we get better at our defense the next time we have to go to battle because of what we learned from the past, right? It's the same sort of concept. Learn from the past and adapt and just don't put all your eggs in one basket and understand that if you do A, you can't do B, right? The, the time is a limited resource. You brought up another good point is like you went there expecting to listen to it like the radio and maybe you would find something and maybe you would jump in and maybe you would contribute. But it's not like uh, there's content that's waiting for you to press play. It's mm. all happening in that moment. It's not like YouTube, right? So you remember the early days or, or po exactly. And so back in the early days of YouTube, 
the content was not that great, right? It was just sort of until people started to learn to how to put together really great content that was accessible and that you could learn from and all of this that turned into this. It's like, you know, Amazon, Amazon Live right now, we think there's maybe a thousand or less actual content uh, creators on the platform. And there's live like we're doing right now, but there's also evergreen content. So there's a combination of that. So I think, you know, the more great content that resides on the platform, I think that, you know, will help build that that credibility that you can you can kind of go back to. But when you've got something like Twitter Spaces and Clubhouse, like you're you're not gonna it's not like you can go and listen to you know Neil Schaefer's keynote that was in somebody's room from three weeks ago. You just it doesn't it doesn't exist. It's all live. It's the concept of temporary content versus content that gets indexed in search engines. It's like, you know, it's funny, podcasting, gotta be consistent. Agree. Last week I didn't publish an episode. You know, stuff happens, life comes up. Suns team won, you know, championship soccer tournament. Didn't get time to turn around that podcast. It's all cool, right? But yeah, I mean, my rankings went up even though I did not publish an episode last week. And that's the thing that once you have content in the search engines, like a YouTube, like an Apple podcast, it works or a blog in Google, it works for your benefit 24 seven. That's why, hey, you can spend an hour creating that reel, but it's lost after 24 hours. Yes, it's in your profile. People are not searching for your reel like they search for podcast episodes in a subject. Or they search for YouTube videos, or they search for, you know, website content, and that's why I really, you know, I invest in those three areas. That's that to me is where the long term ROI is. It takes time; people get impatient. But think about it. You know, talking about building influence, you were asking me what's changed since the age of influence. I mean, if you want to build influence, I look at HubSpot just making this incredible investment in building a podcast network, right? Of investing in the likes of John Lee Dumas and the Marketing Technology Podcast. I think there were like six different podcasts. Um, you know, brands want to get in on your blog. Brands want to get in on your YouTube channel. Brands want to get in on your podcast. And I think as a content creator, yes, there's a play on TikTok and all that. But I think, you know, the, the other areas actually is the longer term ROI. And it just, it's your building asset with every time you publish, it's just another one that might be downloaded when someone subscribes to your channel, what have you. So that's, you know, these last two years, I've really realized that. And I would push more people to that influencer model rather than the TikTok model, unless you can build a really, really big community, which takes, you know, takes creativity. Um, it, it also requires a bit of luck, right? A bit of timing, a, a bit of all these things. I just think the other areas are, are actually, I think, I'm not going to say easier. They take a longer time, but I think more predictable than these newer platforms. Right. And it's better to have some content that you know could live forever, live past you. Um, and so you almost take on this, oh God, this is this this is more important than um, just like clicking on the camera and just chatting with with people. This is uh this is so you you take it more seriously. You you uh, you work harder on it. You you put together the graphics, you and you know that it's going to live forever and you may only get 20 views in the first couple of months or whatever, but you never know um, um, how that might, and you hear the stories all the time. But if, like, you take uh, six hours to put together a, a piece of content that lives for twenty four hours, like, what are we doing? You know, it's it's uh, you got to be able to to create something that uh, that could impact someone you don't know years from now. I think it's a it's a different mindset. Totally. Me too. I think you know, Chris. We talk about this all the time. We we struggle with that whole thought of like, and you hit right on it, Neil. It's like, do I spend all this time to create something that's going to disappear in 24 hours? Uh, or do I produce content that I know people are going to see potentially, you know, daily, weekly, 
you know, people know about our show. They can they can watch our show. Where you know, I made a you know said something great for thirty to sixty seconds. It's gone, and I I would almost be better off you know taking that clip and making it a tweet to take people back to you know the full blown version of whatever we were talking about. Um, and, and Neil, because I, I know you spend a lot of time knowing with like as an example what's going on around the world, but you know, Chris and I recently learned about. Like in Asia now, it's become really big with the... If they're, they're actually not even calling them influencers now. They're uh, the key opinion leaders. And it's kind of that whole growth of, of, of the marketing of where like, you know, if Neil Schaefer says, you know, hey, this is a great book, everybody's going to buy it. Do you see that? And I think that's what Amazon's trying to do. Do you see that growing in the, in the Western world at this point? Or you know, what, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, you know, this, they call them calls or, or key opinion leaders. It's just a different word for maybe the same thing. Because I think that when uh, really, really, you know, big influencers, when they, you know, talk about a product, that, that product sells. It's, it's a natural occurrence. So, um, in, in, I mean, there's reasons why they put a different name on it than influencer marketing. But yes, influencer marketing is way bigger in Asia than it is here uh, for, for a variety of reasons. But um, I, I think that what you see now is that, you know, influencer marketing or just, you know, social media is just very fragmented. So people are finding their own people to follow, right? And for some, you know, it might be Pat Flynn. For others, it might be Dealcasters. For others, it might be Neil Schaefer. There's so many choices out there of content creators that they don't all necessarily gravitate to the same people. And I think that when the key opinion leaders came out, it was more, you know, at the very beginning, there's a few people who like have a lot of followers that everybody sort of gravitate to. But then over time, you have more micro influencers, you have more nano influencers, and people just naturally, and you have more people that have more niches, you just more naturally gravitate to people that are more authentic, right? Uh, that are more approachable, that seem more real. And we've obviously seen this accelerate over the last two years with, with coronavirus, what have you. So I, I think at the end of the day that um, I know that you know I consider myself like a nano influencer, but I know sometimes I've said something and people have said, "Neil, thank you so much. I bought you know that after seeing that, right?" Or if you do affiliate marketing, you can see the clicks, you can see the commissions come in, and you can see how much ROI you're getting from recommending things. So yeah, um, it, it, I do think that that is the value of brands finding people to collaborate with. Uh, in an authentic way, like give them your product, let them use your product, let them become a fan of your product. I don't know about you guys, but you know, I, I do affiliate marketing as well. But I have all these companies reach out to me, but it's like I don't use your product. I can't do it. I, I I can't promote it. I can't talk about it without being a natural user of it and being able to teach people why it's so good. And and therefore, that's really the key thing. Is I believe that brands need to create relationships with influencers, and influencers need to deepen relationships with their communities. So yes, if you have a community. Do a clubhouse, do a live stream. Th that's tremendous ROI of getting to know your community better, right? Th that's cool, right? I just don't think that those things are, you know, are going to be the end all um, uh, of everything that you do. But there is a role for short form content like that. If you're already doing your weekly blog, your weekly YouTube, your weekly podcast, great, do that short form content to engage on a daily basis and keep top of mind. But the main ROI, I don't think is there, if that makes sense. It does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, um, it's a fine line being, you know, it, it's even weird calling myself an influencer, right? But it, it, it's a fine line of, and Jim and I have always talked about this. I'd love to hear your thoughts because you are considered an, an, an influencer, nano or whatever uh, you want to call it. But it's, it's that fine line of credibility 
and you know prosperity right so you know if you want you want to become an influencer and if you want to talk about something and you want to get paid for talking about something um you want to believe in that something you you know um you know we talked about uh, at the top of the show we talked about you know uh, name.com slash live it's probably no secret that that uh you know that's that's something that uh, we have an agreement with someone to talk about but jim and i decided that we are not going to get paid for anything unless we absolutely believe it that we absolutely use it. We use, we've, before we talk to anybody, either we have already used it, already believed it and actually approached that company or companies. And, and we get, we get hit up by companies all the time. And we're like, well, we'll send it to us. Cause we are not even familiar with the product and we don't even know anyone, you know, that has it. So send it to us. And if we like it, we'll talk, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you about it or send it back to you, you know, on, on your dime. Um, but you know, what's the, how do, how do influencers that may be listening and, and or watching uh, right now when if, if they're in that place where it's like, you know, there's there's a bunch of companies talking to them and, you know, how do I, where's my value? Because we, you know, we have a number of people that are in the Amazon Live influencer community. It still is new. And so there's a lot of people that are put, being ported over that were influencers maybe on Instagram or YouTube or some other places. And so they're being hit up by all of these products. What would you say to someone who's kind of in that space and trying to figure out their way and balance their integrity and their prosperity? Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, for for me, it's a little bit easier because, you know, that sort of revenue from affiliate marketing or influencer marketing is not a major revenue stream today, right? So I don't have to accept anything if I don't feel comfortable with it because I know I have these other revenue streams. But if you're really trying to make a full-time job out of this, I think at the end of the day, it all comes down to serving your community. Because if they leave you, you're nothing. So you have to serve them. And if you serve them, you will profit in the long term. So does that product serve your community? And if the product serves you, then it probably serves your community. So at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. Yes, you, you have to be convinced of it. You have to want to use it. And you have to be able to tell your community why you're using it and why it makes sense to use it. So you know, think community first, and then utilitarian for yourself second. And to me, those are the two big things that whenever, you know, like, hey, I want to do a sponsored, you know, buy Instagram followers blog post on neilshafer.com. Ain't going to happen. I don't condone it, right? I'm not going to take your money. It's not worth it. And, and, and therefore, that's the thing. If you do something, what would your community think? What's really interesting is that I don't really use Instagram for marketing. I post a lot of private stuff there. And the reason is that I have this big following in Japan of people that I've like met. A lot of them are like we're, we're fanboys of the same musician there. Others like I've known through you know networking there and business there. They don't want to see like business stuff. They want to see personal stuff. So to me, I'm always thinking, you know, if I post this on Instagram, what would those people think? And they're not really interested in like me speaking on influencer marketing, which is why I post very little of that stuff. So it's very similar, right? What would my community think if I talk about this product? Is it relevant? Is it irrelevant? So, and you're treating each platform like like a community. You have to. Your your Instagram community is different than your LinkedIn community is different than your Pinterest community or or YouTube. Yeah, on Amazon, people want the deals. They want to know the products, right? It's it's completely different than if you're doing an Instagram live or YouTube. You know, YouTube live, it's how tos. I mean, it's a lot more than that, but it, it it's very different versus you know an Instagram. So yeah, I mean, more than ever, you gotta you gotta be a user of the platform. You gotta understand why people are on it, and you need to adapt to it. And you know, for whatever one you want to talk about, there's probably a more ideal platform than others. And that's really you know what what, what I would do. 
there are certain things because I keep it personal. I can talk about lifestyle things on Instagram versus doing it on like a LinkedIn. Although you could do more lifestyle stuff on LinkedIn these days. So um, yeah, that's what it comes down to. They're all different communities. I used to say like LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, it's like China, Japan, Korea. They're all, they have their own unique languages, their own unique cultures. And I think if you think of it that way, even though there's a lot of similarities, there's a lot of crossover, but if you think of it that way in your mind and you try just a little bit to tweak your content in that way, and you know, for some content, it's like, you know what? I'm only going to post this on LinkedIn because it doesn't make sense elsewhere. That's fine. You have to post everything everywhere. And I wish if more people did that, then you know, I think our news feeds would be a lot cleaner and a lot more relevant. Right. That that is so true, Neil. And I think you hit on something as well. And I, you know, of course, I, I sometimes uh, bash, uh, you know, bash Facebook in, in general because I feel like they want to be all things to all people. You know, as an example, like you brought up, Amazon is where people go shopping. I don't usually go on Facebook looking for somebody's live stream to shop on, but they're like, oh, well, we've got live shopping now. And it's like, but then you make it so hard for people to find the content in the first place unless they throw all this money at ads. And, but these businesses and these people that are wanting to be, oh, I've got, I've got to go all in on this platform or that platform. And I think, you know, the, the other thing too, to your point with the, you know, with the content is like, oh, well, I'm just going to take this one post and, put that same post on every platform. And in some cases, they don't even adjust the tags. And it, you know, for people like us that do this all the time, we're like, well, I can tell what they're doing. The easy way to explain this. So as part of my marketing consultant, I have one client who's an e-commerce client. They have an Amazon store. They're sold in like, you know, CVS and, and Walgreens and Walmarts and the whole bit, right? For every 25 cents of advertising on Amazon, we make a dollar. For every dollar of advertising in Google, we make a dollar. For every $3 of advertising on social media, we make a dollar. And that number's come down from like seven, eight, nine dollars. So, and, and we're showing product, right? So that's the thing. People on Amazon looking for things to buy. People on Google, they're researching, they may buy, they may not be ready to buy, but they're trying to look for what's out there. People are not on social media to buy. And I think those numbers with very, very similar creatives, right? They, they speak to the, the strengths of each of these platforms. And, and, you know, you're not going to get the same results. Of you know, when you think of it that way, why would you get the same roles with your with your content, same content on all these different platforms? It just doesn't work that way. That's a pretty amazing uh, numbers there. I I had never really thought of that. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of you know Google because obviously it's the what, the biggest search engine, uh, but I had never really thought about that. Yeah, people might be searching for something on Google and might buy, and that's actually not a bad ratio of of a one to one. Uh, you know, yeah. add dollars to sales. That's pretty Agreed. Yeah. Because it's, it's about search intent, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I have one client where their business is based on search intent. So social media just doesn't work because people aren't searching for it. And they're not, it's more of a B2B sale. It, so they don't have an Amazon store. So for them, Google is, is like everything and it makes sense and they do very well. Yeah, it goes back to it goes back to knowing your audience. I mean, um, you know, like you said, I mean, we're here on Amazon Live right now, and so we're in one of the biggest malls in the world. Indeed. And people have come here, um, you know, to maybe buy a microphone that Neil uh, Neil is speaking into right now. But uh, you know, we just happen to uh, we just happen to be talking to him, and perhaps someone's fed by this uh, information and would you know potentially buy a book, which is you know our you know one of the intents of of this show. But I think so often people will if they're involved in affiliate marketing and you've seen this and, and, um, you know, for yourself and for other businesses that you work with, they'll take that affiliate link, uh, because they happen to have talked about something on their YouTube, um, 
on their YouTube video about a particular product and then they bury it in the show notes or it's in their podcast, you know, on Apple Podcasts, it's buried in the show notes. There's a link and you hope and pray that that someone will click on it and one day you get, you know, 14 cents for somebody buying, you know, whatever it is. And uh, when you're in Amazon, it's like you're actually in the mall and people have come to buy. It's, you know, I, I equate the burying a, a, a affiliate link in your podcast is similar to if you're driving down the road and you see a, a billboard for pizza and you're not hungry, you're not going to pull over and buy a pizza. It's you're there. You're not, you're not speaking to that person um, necessarily. You might be, um, but you're just, you're, you're much better off focusing like you're talking about on your audience and where they're at and knowing, knowing a little bit more about these platforms that you're utilizing and not saying, well, Facebook is the same as Twitter is the same as Pinterest is the same as YouTube is the same. It's, it's like, you gotta, you just, like you said, just lean into it a little bit more and it could be, you know, maybe a little bit more effective, uh, for you or focus on just one thing, right? I mean, sometimes people are afraid to focus on just one thing. Like LinkedIn, for instance, yeah. I think there's, you know, I know you've written books on on LinkedIn, um, and so now LinkedIn is very different than it was, heck, two years ago. Yeah, agreed. Um, you know, with with live video and and all of the changes they're making making on the platform. What are what are you seeing um, lately on on LinkedIn that that has uh, either uh, you know is is working well for you or some things that uh, you wished were working better for you. Yeah. Now, before that, I just wanted to say that as you were speaking, I'm like, well, you know, Twitter spaces is going to be very different than Clubhouse. People are used to Twitter chats. So, you know, converting a Twitter chat into a Twitter space is a no-brainer. And I actually did a Twitter chat this morning with American Marketing Association of Boston. They said they were doing great on, on Clubhouse. I'm like, well, we should have done Twitter spaces, right? That might have even made more sense. Um, versus Clubhouse versus, you know, I listen to Spotify religiously myself. Uh, listen to music on Spotify. And there was an ad recently for anchor.fm. And they're like, yeah, you can now make your own music podcast where you can easily share music from the Spotify library on your podcast royalty free. I'm like, well, that is, that is freaking cool. Right. Spotify. If I ever, cause I love music. I have a, a rack of like, you know, hundreds of CDs behind me. Um, if I ever wanted to do that, which is like a personal project, I've always thought about doing it. I'm going to do that on Spotify. Right. That makes total sense. So if you're a musician, dang, uh, you know, Spotify green room is going to be a great place to be. And I know there are some musicians in clubhouse and Twitter spaces, but uh, once again, getting back into how those platforms are used. So LinkedIn, LinkedIn has become really interesting. And it's funny because if you listen to a lot of podcasts, like I do, you sometimes, especially in marketing, you get these people that appear, Oh, so-and-so is like a LinkedIn guru. And what happens is it sort of reminds you of the early days of Instagram, where there were a lot of automation tools that would help you sort of scale your marketing. LinkedIn, I think we're in a very, very similar stage. I think those that are doing a lot on LinkedIn are using various automation tools that LinkedIn is trying to get better at, but really hasn't cut down. And what do I mean? What so, so what do I mean mean by this? So there was, I don't want to name names, but there was someone who was talking and they said that they built this, they started from scratch and they built this huge following because there was a, a thought leader in their industry who was posting a lot on LinkedIn and getting a lot of comments. So they were sending out invites to people who commented on that post, making a little personalization that was related to that thought leader. I'm thinking, okay, th this that's completely automated, right? So there, there's I don't want to get into the technology here. Maybe you two gentlemen have talked about it before. But you have very, very LinkedIn-specific tools. And then you have general data scraping tools. And it's basically saying, okay, here is the link of the post. I want to scrape 
all the people who like that post and some posts get tens, hundreds of thousands of likes. And then I want to automate the sending of an invitation to them. And then I want to personalize that with these, you know, personalization features. I, I firmly believe that's what this person did in over two years to go from zero to 30,000. And now they have gone well beyond that. Now they also had good content and they were starting to create content related to what that thought leader was talking about. So it's like, Hey, if you like a thought leader's content, love for you to check out what I'm doing. And they were doing a podcast. So there are some use case scenarios where LinkedIn becomes a lot more easier. Now, if you're on LinkedIn, you've probably seen these invites that look personalized, but they're really just spam. So you need to be aware of that. But I do think if I was starting from scratch today, that that's sort of a way of, of you know just being able to reach out to people. Now, LinkedIn has limited the number of invites to like 100 a week now, I think. It used to be a lot more than that. So you're sort of limited. But there's a lot that you can do on LinkedIn because it's the supply demand. There's way more demand for content than there are people that are supplying the content. And my one trick, if you haven't done anything, they're annoying as hell, but polls on LinkedIn will get you hundreds, if not thousands of impressions over the course of a week. I don't know why, but LinkedIn is just favoring polls in the newsfeed. It, it's almost a joke, actually, how much they do it. Yeah. Um, but- we've seen that and we've seen uh, Jim, uh, Jim would at times uh, post a PDF. Yep. Um, and, and for whatever reason, it, like the view count was, was like inordinately, uh, higher than he n- normally would get yeah, on, so on anything else. LinkedIn is interesting because think about it, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. how do they monetize their platform? hundred percent ads. LinkedIn isn't hundred percent ads. They have LinkedIn recruiter solution, talent solutions for recruiters, right? They have LinkedIn sales navigator. For you know B two B salespeople and and you know financial services insurance, so they have other streams of revenue where it's like you know what we can give a little bit more native content, organic. We can give that more impressions in the feed. We don't have to rely 100 percent on monetizing the feed, and that is a huge difference. And we've seen LinkedIn play around with this. Like company page posts on LinkedIn will tend to get more impressions than Facebook page posts at times. They've sort of scaled that down, but they're always tweaking that algorithm. And if you you know look in your feed right, and if you start seeing a trend then jump on it. And I think you're going to get a lot more impressions. Now, you have to have something to say. You have to have connections that are going to help comment and everything. But once again, do I spend an hour hoping to get on stage in a clubhouse room? Or do I spend an hour just like you know hacking away at LinkedIn? That hour on LinkedIn might be a lot more valuable, especially considering the demographic that we know are LinkedIn users. That's a great point. I love that. Yeah. Or, yeah, one of my son's friends, brute force, just like hack, hack, brute force. What was the word? It's like a gamer word. I'm forgetting the word right now. But uh, anyway, you get the picture. <laughs> Level up? Was that it? No, that's, that's yeah. That, <laughs> my son would say that's a boomer word, even though I'm Gen X, not a boomer. But um, I'm right, trying to remember yeah. that. Anyway, um, it's all good. It, gamer word. But, right. but yeah, I mean, that's the whole idea. So yeah, there's a lot. LinkedIn's really different. These new content formats. I reformatted an Instagram carousel post of 10 square images into one of those PDFs, which are based on square images. You know, perfect, right? So that that's really good repurposing when the content's relevant for. So anyone listening, if you have an Instagram carousel post, immediately repurpose that into a PDF. Um, just just literally save it as a ten page PDF, and your content's ready to go there. 
Yeah. And to your point, the lines are a little blurred now. It used to be like LinkedIn was like, you know, button up and put on a tie and, and, uh, you know, get ready, you know, for, you know, your job interview. And I mean, there still is a lot of that, right? There's still, it still is a, a business, uh, social networking and there still is a lot of that. But boy, I see some stuff on LinkedIn. Um, I got, now that uh, I got the know, word grinding, that's the grind, word grinding, grind. which comes grinding. from before gaming. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> my 14 year old son using that. It's all good. The grind. He's grinding. The on grind, the, right the now, LinkedIn probably. grind. Yeah. So Jim, I know you're, you're chomping at the bit here, um, uh, to, to, you know, and we've been talking about the book and we're, we're running up close to the top of the hour. So I want to, I know, um, Jim's a big fan of the book and, um, you know, I want to, I definitely want to make sure that those that are listening and watching, um, check out the age of influence. Um, I can't believe the deal that it's on right now on Amazon. Neil. Yeah, did you set yeah. that up? You, you brought the it must. It must just be for us, right? You, you just because you were on our show. It's like uh, the special deal on on Age of Influence. No, no I want to say I think Jim, you might have been the first person I gave my book to. Like wow. literally, I, it just came right before Social Media Marketing World. I brought it down. I, yeah, I we, we met in. we met in the networking hall and we were yep. talking. Yeah, because I was introduced you to the folks from Metricool and yeah, that's that. Yeah, so well, trust me, anyway. I, I treasure it. <laughs> no, but yeah, it's the the book industry is really interesting. Right after it came out, you know, it it would take weeks to get the book because the whole Amazon warehouse is a distribution. And now, um, yeah, I mean, heck, you know, if I need to send out a book to a client, I'm just going to go through Amazon. It's that cheap, you know, free shipping. Right. So yeah, anybody, this is really, it's not going to get any cheaper than this. So just, just do it. Yeah. Neil, what, what do you see? Uh, you know, you talk about it in the book, do you continue to see the growth of influencer marketing is, is valuable to companies? And I think you hit on it too. Much more important, like I would say for the folks that are Amazon influencers or want to become that making relationships with these companies and not so much focusing like, Oh, I, I want to get a product you know, because I, I think that's where you got to draw the line. If you don't believe in the product, don't don't do it because your reputation is at stake. Yeah, you know, I I think that if I am, you know, since coming out with that book, I've seen just it, it, I saw the beginning of it around the time I was writing the book, but just a shift in looking at influencers, not just people that can amplify your message to a larger number of people, but people that are great content creators. So it's like, dang. I want to get on Amazon, but most brands aren't doing adventurous stuff like that. They don't have budgets to, to start a live stream on Amazon, right? Like, what's the ROI? They're not going to do it. But teaming up with people that do that is really, really smart. So what I would say, and when I wrote my book, I realized that a lot of influencers get deals. Like, well, I think this number was one third of the influencer deals came from them proactively pitching brands rather than waiting for them to pitch them. I would absolutely you know, reach out because here's the thing, more and more brands now look at influencers just for their content creation. So, well, we need TikTok, right? We need to speak that generation, but we don't have the creativity. We don't, we don't know what we're doing. Why don't we just hire influencers? They can be, we don't even care what following they have. If they make great content, let's just outsource our content creation to people that are really good at using these platforms. And that's been a significant shift we've seen, mainly visually, like on Instagram with photos and stuff. We, we now call this leveraging user generated content. When a lot of that is done by just shipping out free product to these people. But I would reach out to brands and say, Hey, you know, I want to feature you on my Amazon live. I want to, I want to do a special hour just talking about your products. Can you, can I interview someone from the company or can you share with me some stories that I could share? Right. Um, you know, there aren't that many people that do what you do now. So go out there 
and pitch. And worst thing is they say no. Maybe they go, you know what? We're not interested in Amazon, but do you do like TikTok or Instagram live? It may start a completely different conversation, but I would definitely go out of my way. You know, use LinkedIn to find these people. Um, you know, direct message them on Instagram, which a lot of people do. You could DM them on Twitter if they're B2B. But that would be my best advice to give you today if you really want to start to proactively get things going. Awesome. That's great. I hope I hope uh, those that are that are listening and watching are 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 hearing that uh, from one of the foremost authorities on influencer marketing. Neil, this has been awesome. I know you've got uh, you've got a hard stop and another interview back to back to back to back. So we don't we don't want to make you late uh, for that one. Um, but I know uh, neilshafer.com is is the website, and if you haven't picked uh, picked up uh, Age of Influence. I mean, what are you waiting for today? Because he was on Dealcasters, um, his uh, his book is is on sale. No, uh, is on sale. Plus, uh, while you're there, pick up a few more books. Uh, well, you've got three or four. This is your fourth book. Yep, four books, written? and I'm really close to releasing a free preview of my fifth book, which I've been working on, and I should have gotten out at the end of Q2. But uh, yeah, my next my next book is going to be like a digital marketing playbook, very much inspired and influenced by how my business has shifted after COVID and how I've helped all these other businesses really shift their business into digital first gear or fifth gear, I guess. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Definitely. When when will that be out, Neil? You know what? It's still very, very early. It's going to be a good, you know, five, 6,000 word ebook. It'll be completely free. You'll have to download it on my site. So make sure you go to neilshafer.com, sign up somewhere. Um, That is really going to start the book proposal stage. So I am hoping. I mean, I would love to have it out for Social Media Marketing World 2022. That would be my my ideal scenario. But I'm already starting to talk about it, and I think that the uh, the ebook will, will hopefully enlighten a lot of people. Awesome, great stuff, Neil. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'd love to have you back sometime if uh, if you've got time, because I know you're a very busy guy. But it's been an honor to have you, and uh, look forward to hopefully seeing you again in person soon. Podcast movement, baby. See you in Nashville. And to everyone else, as always, don't fear the gear. Thanks for listening to Dealcasters. Congratulations. You've taken another step forward in your content creation journey. Please don't forget to hit the subscribe or follow button here in your favorite podcast player so you can be reminded every time we drop an episode. We love hearing from our listeners and viewers. And if you're wanting to watch our shows live on Amazon, feel free to follow Dealcasters Live as well at dealcasters.live. Follow us on Twitter or subscribe to our YouTube channel where we also include added content that you cannot find anywhere else. If you have questions about this episode or have something you want us to review, you can also email us at dealcasters at dealcasters.live. Thanks again for listening. And you know the deal. Don't fear the gears.